Well, I'm wearing the purple stole because after this conference, I'll be hearing confessions. The sacrament is actually called the Sacrament of Reconciliation or the Sacrament of Penance. We tend to call it confession because we focus on what we do. But as with everything, we need to focus on what God is doing. He's the initiator of everything. And this will help us even understand our relationship with the Eucharist, the Most Holy Eucharist. The most important thing in prayer and in your relationship with the Eucharist, with God, is to place yourself in relationship to God. But we tend to place God in relationship to us. That's a big mistake a lot of people make. I am not the center of the universe. As was taught in the movie Rudy, any of you who might like Notre Dame football, and there was Rudy, this guy who just tried to make the team. He didn't have the gifts, but the priest in the movie said, there's two things I know. One, there is a God, and two, I'm not him. And I would add, thank God. You would not like me as God. I would be a terrible God. I would mess everything up. Even though I have that tendency that some of you may have, I don't know, I can only speak for myself. If only everybody would do what I thought they should do, everything would be really messed up. God is at work. There's a time for everything. He's at work. It's so beautiful. I mean, if we really could come to the point of, you know, seeing what he gives us, you know, at the right time, in the right measure, for the right reason, and his greatest gifts are are, are sharing the cross. It really is. You know, right now, here we are at 1.30. Our Lord is on the cross. If we enter into the great I am, those three hours on the cross, praying those seven last words. And, um, you know, he says from the Eucharist, because right there he's the the crucified and risen Lord in the Eucharist, the most holy Eucharist. He is the resurrected Lord. Cardinal Burke points that out. We need to remember that. But he's the crucified Lord. And uh, that goes together. But he said, I thirst. First, you know, he gave us our mother. What a gift from his heart. You think of what gifts he gives from his heart. I mean, really, the heart is his heart pouring out to you. The Eucharist, that's from his heart. St. John Vianney, about the priesthood, used to say the priesthood is the gift of the sacred heart of Jesus. Priests need to remember that. But our mother is a gift of the sacred heart of Jesus, Right? Gifts pour forth from the heart of Jesus. What a loving God. The Eucharist to give us himself. I've seen a reflection by St. John Hughes who has some wonderful reflections on the Eucharist. There's even little books on Eucharistic retreats. Uh, And the reflection effectively was this, how Jesus was imploring the Father to be able to remain with men And uh, 
You know, there's this dialogue going back and forth where, you know, it's recognized that many people would disrespect our Lord in the Eucharist. People would not show appreciation for our Lord in the Eucharist. That sinners would be receiving and handling the Eucharist. There would be blasphemers about the Eucharist. And the Lord was like, I love them. I want to be with them. Hey, wow. What a great Lord. He stays so vulnerable. But as he said to St. Therese of Lisieux, whose feast day is coming up Monday, the little flower. You know, he says, I didn't come just to sit in a silver cyborium. I came to be with men and women, right? And there he is. But when he goes to the words, I thirst, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, in her letter to her sisters, written from Varanasi before she died, as I shared with you, you know, she said, you know, I'm afraid many of you just relate to an idea of Jesus, not the real Jesus. But later in that letter, she says, I thirst is deeper than I love you. And that's something you can reflect on. How is I thirst even deeper than I love you? You know, we know that he thirsts for faith. I thirst for faith, the woman at the well. He cries out in the courtyard, you know, come to me if those who are thirsty and I'll give you living water. He thirsts for our love. But I love you is deeper than it goes deeper than I love you. When he says, I thirst. And so I had to reflect on that. And it's basically, I want union with you. I want communion. Communion means with union. I want to be one with you. I want every cell of my being to be in every cell of your being. That's greater than love. But we must respond um, I'll, I'll talk about covenant when I get to the blood of Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, but let me just share this part briefly. Marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. Marriage is an exchange of persons, and it's supposed to be total, free, faithful, and fruitful. Total. 100%. Married people, you know, uh, marriages, you know, work when when each spouse gives 100% of themselves. But if, if people say, well, I'll meet you halfway, 50-50, does it work? Do you always meet 50-50? No. But if I'm always giving 100%, I'm always meeting somebody. I'm married. And you'll be like, oh, what, what kind of retreat master is this? I'm married to the church. She's the most beautiful bride. Christ laid down his life for her to be holy, spotless, undefiled, without stain or wrinkle. But I'll tell you what, my bride is very demanding. I mean, doesn't matter what time of day, you know, she wants to be served. (laughs) What a privilege. She has to realize she needs to also give me time to pray, though, so I can serve. But, 
Marriage, you know, marriage is, as I talked to you earlier about going deeper and deeper, you know, there's a lot to be learned from marriage in all of our lives, whatever our state of life is, because we can learn from marriage that that's to be an icon of Christ in the church. That's why marriage and family is under attack now by the enemy, because the enemy doesn't want these icons of Christ in the church or the icon of the Trinity, which is the family. But, you know, is it sufficient for someone in a marriage to say, oh, yes, I remember my, the day of my wedding. I was married on September 28th, 1992. And that's it? How would the other spouse feel? That, that was the extent of the marriage. Aren't you supposed to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper? Same thing, what I was talking about earlier today. You have to go deeper. You know, and it's endless, this treasure of Jesus Christ and his love for us. But it goes to union. He wants communion, common union, everything in common, common union, communion. That's deeper than love. And since he's God, he can actually unite every, with every cell of our being, where, where we in our human nature, because we got physical bodies, as much as I would like to give myself uh, in, in love of, let's say, my mother, to my mother, I, I can't enter into her being. I can share some of my spirit. I can share my love. I can share my thoughts. But, but it's, I'm a human being. But God, Jesus Christ, is, he's a divine person with two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. He's not a human person. He's a divine person with two natures. He assumed our human nature and truly went to the cross and truly suffered and died, truly overcame temptation. So that's what saved us. But he wants to give him all of himself to us. And so right now, you know, he's on the cross, and he's saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's love. Our life is forgiving. Think of forgiveness as two words, forgiving. We need to give ourselves, forgiving. Our life is made forgiving. When we give ourselves away, we find ourselves. And he makes excuses for people. They know not what they do. I, I love the Psalms. It says, God remembers, God has mercy on us or pity, pity on us because he remembers of what we're made. You know, we can think that we're so great, right? Even if you take the smartest, you know, person in the world, so to speak, you know, super high IQ. And we got to pray for a lot of people like that. But, um, you know, it does remind me of the story of there's... Now, this is just a story. There's these people going from America to Europe on an airplane, and there were um, 12 of them. And uh, they, they made it almost to England, but they, were, they ran out of fuel. So the pilot comes, and he says, you know, we're not going to make it. Um, the good news is we have 12 people here, including myself. The bad news is we have 11 parachutes. And the pilot took a parachute and said, I have a family, I have to jump. And 
sequentially, various people came and gave reasons why they needed a parachute and they, they needed to jump, and there were three people left. There was a priest, a boy scout, and a man who claimed to be the smartest man in the world. And this man who claimed to be the smartest man in the world said, well, I need the parachute because, you know, the world needs me. I'm so smart. And uh, he took a parachute and jumped. And so the priest and the young boy scout were there and the priest said, well, my son, I've lived a good life. You know, you take the parachute and, and, and do well with your life. Stay close to God. I'm ready. And uh, the Boy Scout said, oh, you know, don't worry, Father. Um, the world's smartest man just took my backpack. <laughs> so, so, so yeah. You know, we think we're so smart. I mean, God, God remembers of what we're made. And we're made from the clay. And so actually to process things through our brain, things have to go through all this clay. We're kind of slow, to be honest. But actually, that's why God has mercy on us. You know, angels, they're pure spirits, pure minds. I mean, when they made their decision, they made their decision. They knew what they were doing. And it's irreversible. That's why it's irreversible. So let's all just be humble before this mystery. There is wisdom. And the cross is the wisdom of God and the power of God. And I hope you believe that. That's scripture. And you have to reflect on why is that the wisdom of God and the power of God? When I accept my nothingness, and it's taken years to learn this, when I accept my littleness, my nothingness, that's when I'm strong. It's in my powerlessness, or, or actually the word is in my impotence, which means impotence, no power, impotence. In my impotence, that's when I'm strong. To learn that God reaches down in his mercy to the weakest. It's kind of like water. Water goes, you know how water goes to the lowest place? Well, grace and mercy go to the lowest place. And so... Hey, I'll just become a grace and mercy pit, you know. I accept it. I'm, you know, I'll be the lowest place and just let it all flow on me. I need God to lift me up. You know, that's Therese, lift me up. But Jesus says, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They're made of clay. They're just not, they just don't understand. And then this day thou shalt be with me in paradise to the, to the thief who repented. Um, but then to give us his mother from his heart. Wow. And I'm going to talk a lot about Our Lady tomorrow. I'm going to talk about a Eucharistic rosary. I'm going to talk about uh, how to live consecration to Our Lady. And then, you know, right there, when Our Lady knew she needed to take care of St. John, the beloved disciple, and all of us, she, she, she taught John what it meant when the Lord said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, by a miracle, Jesus in his humanity permitted himself to experience that. Just like when he went to the desert, by a miracle, he permitted himself to be tempted. You can't tempt God, but he permitted by a miracle 
to actually experience temptation, to overcome temptation, to reduce the power of temptation and sin and the seeds of sin in our life. He, he won the victories. But then to say, I thirst. And, um, you know, Mary says, I satiate. The, the, the missionaries of charity, their spirituality is they satiate through three things. Loving trust, total surrender, and cheerfulness. Those are the three things they try to live. Loving trust, total surrender, and cheerfulness. And I, and I teach it actually not just loving trust, but trusting love. It all goes together. Are you trusting love? So Jesus says, I thirst. I want union with people. I want you to come up on the cross with me, and I want you all to spirate the Holy Spirit to the whole world. The technical word is spirate. Have you heard the word inspiration? Well, between the Father and Jesus, the Holy Spirit is spirated eternally. But God sends forth the Holy Spirit to us, and from the cross, that's where we can really spirate the Holy Spirit. You see, when you go to the cross, that's where you're witnessing to the world real love. It's easy to talk about love, but when the world sees that you still love when you're lifted up on the cross, that's the witness they need. That's love made visible, honestly, and you can only do it with the Eucharist. You see, going to the cross is where you realize the pinnacle of your life. The, the, you realize all the potential you have as a human person. You actualize your potential. You've heard how musicians actualize their potential or athletes actualize their potential. On the cross, we actualize our potential because on the cross, we say, you may nail me here. You may crucify me, but these nails don't hold me here and you don't have any power over me because I'm going to continue to love you no matter what. No matter what, I'm going to continue to love you. You don't have any power over me. I'm going to keep on loving you. Wow. When the world sees that witness, that transforms lives. And that's love made visible. That's the love that you're called to. That's what this retreat is calling you to. Love made visible. But it all starts from the source of God himself Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Scripture says God is love. 1 John chapter 4. The letter, first letter of St. John chapter 4. God is love. It doesn't say God does loving acts. Certainly God does loving acts. But God is love. That means he's more than one person. To be love, there needs to be more than one. Right? To be love. And so the Father knows himself from all eternity. Here's how the Trinity is philosophically understood. The Father knows himself. That's his word. When I'm about to speak a word, I know the word I have, but I have difficulty communicating it sometimes to other people. But because God is all-knowing and all-powerful, his knowledge of himself is a person, the second person of the Trinity, the word. He generates the word from all eternity within himself. And then the, the son looks at the father, the eternal son, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the father, co-eternal. They look at each other 
And when you see beauty and goodness, you can't help but want you go towards that beauty and goodness. To know the good philosophically is love. To possess the good is joy. God is the supreme good. So they look at each other and they see these perfections and beauty and goodness. And this is where the Holy Spirit spirates between them. The the church fathers say the Holy Spirit is the kiss between the Father and the Son. But he's co-eternal as well. But then from within God himself, who is love... This love, which is called ad intra, within God himself, goes ad extra. God goes outside of himself and creates outside of himself. Why did he create us? Did he need us? No. Does he need our counsel, our knowledge, our ideas? No. One of the harshest corrections I ever received, but very necessary, was from my founder, our founder, Father James Flanagan. Before I was a priest, I was an attorney at law. My uncle says I went from being a liar to a friar. (laughs) And that's a whole other story. Not all lawyers are liars. We need good lawyers, good Catholic lawyers. But Father Flanagan said to me, God has no need of your critical analysis. God has no need of my critical analysis. I spent my whole life fine-tuning my critical analysis. God has no need of that. It's, it's similar to my sister, Mary, Michelle Mary, Michelle Mary, Michael Mary, but Michelle Mary, who helped me understand how to serve women. One time she said, Zach, you know, sister, she can call me, you know, that's my name, Zach. She said, Zach, women don't need you to solve their problems. I was like, women don't, women don't need me to solve their problems. I'm like, but that's what I do. I, I was a lawyer. I, I, I solve problems. I fix things. I, in the Philippines, I really learned I had to come to face with the fact that I used to think that serving was fixing. I was a fixer. People don't want to be fixed. They want to be served like Jesus, right? I'm glad I learned that. So I said, well, Michelle, what am I supposed to do? She goes, just listen. Listen. Okay, I'll try it. She goes, yeah, just try it. So the woman comes into my office, and she's talking and sharing, and I'm listening, you know, and listening, and, you know, every so often giving a sign that I'm still awake. And uh, at the end, I, you know, I don't know what I said, you know, like something like God loves you or, you know, I mean, something really simple. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You understand me. Yes, yes. You know, oh, you've really helped me. I'm like... I go, Michelle, it worked. (laughs) Isn't that what Jesus does for us here in the Eucharist? He listens, but we need to listen to him. You know, let your heart listen to his heart, and his heart is listening to your heart, and that's what it really is, heart to heart.
So satiate his thirst. But he wants communion with you. He wants union. We'll go deeper into this. But then he says, it's consummated. At the end of your life, that's what you should be able to say. It's finished. When you finish your work here on earth, that's when you get to go home. That's it. That's how it works. God's got a plan. And then you say, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. That, that can be a whole spirituality. of a total you know, surrender, self-abandonment to divine providence, however you want to look at it. If you said at every moment of your life, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, I mean, you would be a holy person if you really live that radically. That's one approach, honestly. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit and really meant it. And you can do that in the Eucharist. Renew your, your offering of yourself to Jesus, learning how he offers himself to the Father in the Holy Spirit, right? So after I've shared some of these things with you, but I'm, I'm trying to stay in connection with the, the Paschal mystery this weekend, as you notice, trying to live it. You know, we're still here. Jesus is on the cross right now. It's 2 o'clock. He's praying those seven last words. As I shared with you, after giving many, many retreats, so many that I'm tired of hearing myself, <laughs> honestly. I would not mind it if God took away my voice and I was never able to give another retreat again. I'd like to be able to hear confessions and give absolution. Actually, I'm starting to believe that more is done in the confessional than anywhere else other than at the Mass. But here are seven points from Mother Angelica about love that I want you all to get a hold of. This was a little pamphlet she wrote called Journey into Prayer. And I've been starting more and more retreats with these seven points because if it's only if people know that they're loved by God, if they know that God is seeking them, God is desiring them, can they go forward. Otherwise, they have an identity crisis and they're filling themselves up with all kinds of things. But you can even just close your eyes and try to let these points touch your heart coming from the Eucharistic heart of Jesus here, uniting your love with God's love and God's love with your love, being aware of God's personal love for you. And so you can pause on these thoughts. You might want to write them down if one strikes you, but you might want to just close your eyes and hear Jesus in the Eucharist speaking to you, or even hear him from the cross speaking to you. I mean, that's love, to say this, this from the cross. First, God loves me as if no one else existed.
Or you could hear Jesus from the cross saying, I love you personally. I thirst for you. I would die for you alone. I'm here for you. I love you that much. You are that important to me. God loves you as if no one else existed. Second, God's love for me is beyond description. His love for you is beyond description. We try to use words to describe love, but how would you describe love to someone who never experienced love? Whenever I give the homily on Pentecost and I'm trying to describe the Holy Spirit, who is Romans 5, 5, is the love of God poured into our hearts. That's the best definition of the Holy Spirit from Scripture. The Holy Spirit is the love of God poured into our hearts. Romans 5, 5, easy to remember. Used to be the speed limit, 55. Okay? But, you know, we, we use descriptive words like the Holy Spirit is, is the breath of God. Of course, he's the love of God, the breath of God. He's... Uh, living water, and he's a fire. Water and fire, kind of interesting, but different aspects. You know, the tongues of fire to proclaim God's love to the world, but yet the living water that comes on the dry land of our, our souls and our hearts to give fruitfulness to our lives. But breath, you know, how do you really describe a breath? You have to use descriptive words, right? If someone's never breathed, how would you describe breath to someone who's never breathed? You could start to say, well, lungs operate this way and, you know, all these words. But, uh, you know, how do you describe love to someone if they've never really loved? Or if their identity is, is based in what they do, and that's, that's an error. I'll share that with you, my brothers and sisters. Metaphysically, we must be in order to do. That's a metaphysical concept you must be in order to do. But so many of us want to do in order to be. You must be first. Be in Christ. There he is in the Eucharist. He's giving himself to you so you can be another Jesus. And then you do the things he, he speaks to you in his word. But his love for you is beyond description. Beyond description. We use a lot of words. But you just have to know it in your heart and just open up your heart to that love, honestly. But his love for you is beyond description. Scripture itself says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has the human heart even conceived what God has in store for those who love him, right? Basically, it says you can't even imagine the great things God has in store for those who love him. I have a great imagination. I really do. I mean, God, I, I really, 
I really expect some great things in heaven, and I, I got this, you know, I mean, heaven's going to be great. And it's beyond even that, but I can imagine. That's why we, we need to pray in the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit, it says, groans with longings too deep for us to understand. We don't even know what to really ask for in prayer at the deepest levels, because we're asking for God, who's beyond even our, our, our ideas, Right? I mean, we know to ask for eternal life. The Lord has revealed many things for us to ask for. But as beautiful and good and glorious and perfect as God is, he's beyond even what I can think of. And I need the Holy Spirit to try to ask, to unite those deep things of God with those deep things of me, to have that union. But get a hold of that. The second point, God's love for me is beyond description. Third, God knew me and loved me before he created anything. God knew me and loved me before he created anything. Wow. You're an actual choice. You know how we hear how we're adopted sons and daughters of God? And sometimes people look at adopted people as, you know, oh, the poor person, they lost their parents. Well, adoption actually means a choice was made. That's pretty awesome. God made a choice for you. He chose you. He chose the family you're born into. He chose the time you would live. He chose... You know, if you're married, what spouse you would have. Marriage is God's plan, and it's, it's up to us to cooperate with it, or we can destroy it. But marriage is God's design. God knew me and loved me before he created anything. That's actually the kind of love we need to enter into with other people. You see, the whole point is when we receive this love, then we can love other people better. Because we want to have this love that we want to see the way that God sees and love the way God loves and and the way God does it before even sin entered the world. God sees us and he also sees the final product. He sees the end of the journey. Uh, you know, I can see at the, at the end of your journey, you know, he's going to just hold you up in front of all of heaven. And he's going to say, ta-da. You know, here, you know, ta-da. Here's my child. But, you know, we get so much, we, we get analyzing ourselves. St. Paul says, I don't even judge myself. I don't have the right to judge myself. Let's see the way God sees. Fourth. I am important to God, therefore he sent his son to live and die for me. I am important to God, therefore he sent his son to live and die for me. Wow. That's love. So first, God loves me as if no one else existed. Secondly, His love for me is beyond description. Third, 
He knew me and loved me before he created anything. Fourth, I am important to God, therefore he sent his son to live and die for me. Fifth, he made me his dwelling place on earth at baptism. He made me his dwelling place on earth at baptism. Wow. Right there, and and, and he dwelt among us. It says in Scripture, God's delight or joy is to be with the sons of men. I mean, that's hard for us to believe, right? Because if I'm with God... I mean, what we do, here's what we tend to do. I, I can, I'll just admit what I do, you know, I'm just sharing. So it starts like this. Well, if I was God, I wouldn't want to really dwell in me. Right? Why would I dwell in Zach? I mean, I'd go create this awesome universe somewhere else out there and, you know, whatever. That's not what Jesus revealed. We, God's delight, his joy is to be with the sons of men. He loves us. And he made us his dwelling place at baptism. The whole call to holiness is to live your baptism. You know, every person has three vocations. Let me make this clear. Because you really have to understand that. Most of the time when we think of vocation, we think of of, you know, should someone be a priest or a sister or married? That's part of it. But the first vocation is to be a saint. You're all created to be saints. That's your first vocation, to live your baptism in its fullness. All other, sacra- all other sacraments and all other vocations flow from the baptism. If I'm not living my baptism, I can't live as a priest. And if I wasn't baptized, I couldn't be a priest. Understand? The second vocation is my state in life. My state in life is to help me become a saint. That's my vocation. You know, we think of that as the vocation, but I have a vocation that's going to help me become a saint. And then my third vocation is what's God's will for me in the present moment or in my mission or my apostolate or my assignment. That can change from day to day, but usually we, you know, many times we get an assignment or we have, you know, a state and uh, a work of God that's pretty clear to us for a, a certain limited time period. And they all go together, but everything is to be ordered to be a saint. And it's God's will that we're saints. That's called his sanctifying will. There's his salvific will to save us, and there's his sanctifying will to make us saints. It's his work. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why he's called the Holy Spirit. If you want to be holy, relate to the Holy Spirit. If you want to have a spiritual life, relate to the Holy Spirit. Say right in his name, Holy Spirit. God made me his dwelling place on earth at baptism. Sixth, God nourishes my soul with his own body and blood in the Eucharist. God nourishes my soul with his own body and blood in the Eucharist. 
I'll be speaking at the final conference today or tomorrow morning on body, blood, soul, and divinity in the depths of that. But he nourishes my soul with his body and blood in the Eucharist. Wow. And seventh, God dwells in me and longingly waits for my expressions of love. God dwells in me and longingly waits for my expressions of love. Can, can you not spend one hour with me? You see that on a lot of adoration chapels, right? The truth is our life is basically one hour. Honestly, our life is one hour. That's the hour. Can you not spend one hour with me? Spend all of it with Jesus. You know, I'm so grateful Catholics will come to Mass and fulfill their quote-unquote obligation, you know, one hour a week. And if if it's unless there's a holy day of obligation, once a week. But that's actually a bad deal. I want to give God all 168 hours of my week. I, I want to give him everything, love him with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and learn to love my neighbor as myself for the love of God. I know how much trouble I can get into when I'm left to myself. Too much trouble. One hour for God, all the rest for me. Some people think that's a good deal. One hour to God, 167 for me. No, that's not a good deal. God longingly waits for our expressions of love. And it's doing little things with great love. You can do all things in God. Or you can put a little before the all things in God. You can put a SM before that. I can do small things in God <laughs> with great love, you know. And uh, we're all part of a, a big project of God. It's God's project. We don't belong to ourselves. Bishop Barron, many of you know him, you know, he, he said he's sharing that the key to holiness is basically three points. One, God is the center of everything. Two, we all need God's mercy. And three, my life is not about myself. That's his big point. Once we get a hold of that, we can go forward. My life is not about me. It's God's project. Am I open to the invitations he's sending me? And the best place to to hear those invitations are here in the Eucharist. Now, let me share this with you. I I was blessed after I had a great St. Paul conversion. I'm not going to go into that. But I was blessed to to be led to the Carmelites. I will share that I was led this way. I went back to the place where the conversion took place, and I found a scapular. And then, being a lawyer, I read the fine print, 
And it says something about you needed to be invested in the scapular. So I'm going, invested? What's this invested thing? So I'm calling all around Sacramento, California. Where can I get invested? Where can I get invested? You know, and I found out that the Carmelites, every third, I think, Saturday or Sunday of the month, met at the cathedral, and I could get invested. Okay, so I'm, I got my plan. I'm going to go there, get invested, and get out of there, right? But I'm going to activate this scapular because I need that, because I know what I know. And they made me sit through the whole meeting. And they talked about Therese, and they talked about Teresa of Avila, and a little touch on John of the Cross. And I mean, everything that was being said is what I was longing for. And so I became a third order Carmelite and got a Carmelite spiritual director. And right away, he started teaching me how to do Eucharistic adoration. He said, you know, begin with, just even if it begins with five minutes, just sit five minutes before the Lord and just try to be still. And then try to increase it, you know, maybe six minutes or seven minutes. You know, that's how people do when they're training for marathons. You, you know, you just increase it slowly, right? But I was so glad he, he, he taught me this principle, which was, you know, the Lord is speaking to my soul even if I'm not perceiving it. And I started to experience the communications of God with my soul in this way, okay? I guess I'll share with you. It's not being recorded. So I, I, a lot of things, I'm just an instrument, and it's good. It's not being recorded, and I can just, you know, share. So I grew up in Detroit, okay? So I had a, a double combination of difficulty, being a lawyer and a Detroiter. <laughs> and I would leave adoration. And sure enough, eventually God would send me what I'll say, another little me. God would send me another me with a bad attitude, a bad attitude. And I found that after I did adoration, even though I wasn't like necessarily, I didn't hear, you know, Zach, an hour from now, there's going to be a person just like you coming to you with a bad attitude and testing you. And I want you to practice patience and love and kindness and peace. No, I didn't hear that. But I spent the time before the Lord. And all of a sudden, here comes a little me. And I was completely different. I wasn't me to me. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I was actually nice and kind and gentle. I mean, that, that, that was a miracle. So I knew that God confirmed that my spiritual director. That's how it works. You know, God is speaking to our souls. And, and even if, you know, there's, it's great when you get lights in, 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 in your holy hours. I get many lights, but... And I'll speak tomorrow also about how St. Francis de Sales says you need to make a resolution in your, your, your prayer and put it into practice. Because when you're in prayer and you sit there and you go, oh, yes, Lord, I'm going to love everybody. I'm so, yes, you're meek and humble of heart. And I'm going to be meek and humble of heart and, and all these things. And, and you say that you, you think you have those. And St. Francis de Sales says you can actually be 
regressing because it, it increases pride. You think you have it, but unless you put a, make a resolution and let it go get tested, you're not really going to grow. So I would leave adoration. And God actually gave me the grace just to sit there for an hour. And I would encounter another little me, and there was just this change, you know. And then I was like, wow, there's something there. It's really, that's real. And so then, inevitably, the way God works, so I'd make it past one little me, and then God would send me another me after that me. And I was like, wow, Lord, that's tough. But, you know, I was starting to find the grace to make it, you know, you know, to grow. And... um it was really hard, especially when there was like back-to-back little me's sent to me. The furthest I made it was two and a half me's. <laughs> and then I, I entered the religious community of Salt. Uh, we were founded on July 16th, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, 1958. And so, you know, it was all a fit and all natural. But what I'm trying to share with you is that you, you know, your time before the Lord, great things happen. They really do. And he's communicating at levels that we, are, we can't even perceive. And you have to trust that. And it will make a difference in your life. It really does. You know that. That's why you're here. I mean, that's why you're here. But I'm just trying to confirm. Basically, I'm trying to just confirm what you already know. But try to focus on those seven points of God's love or just hear him say, I thirst to you. Because only if you know his love, his love is made visible, but a lot of this could be just in your mind. It could be a head, uh, you know, in your head, and it won't get to your heart. We don't want to have a retreat that's just about having head knowledge. We want this to be a retreat that's about your heart, heart to heart. Again, I'll keep emphasizing that over and over again. I've given enough retreats. When I was a young priest, when I say a young priest early in my priesthood, God's priesthood, I used to give a lot of information. Some people would say it was like drinking out of a fire hydrant. (laughs) I just would pour information on people. And I really, I mean, I really, I was doing the best I could. But now I've realized, I mean, the whole point is to be an instrument for you. This retreat is not, I'm getting served too in what God's asking me to go through. It reinforces things in me and he gives me, he gives me what I need whenever he asks me to give retreats. But this is about you, what you take away from this. And it's not about me. You shouldn't even remember what I look like or my name. I am nothing we want to see each other in heaven, but this is about you. And if only one or two things get, you know, you get them. Like glorify your father. Like I got that. It's still with me from, I, I, I actually got to think about the year, but it's probably about 2014 or 13. Um, that's been growing in me ever since. When, when God speaks just a, a few words, that, that changes your life. And that's what we hope happens in this retreat. Whatever it might be, one of those seven sayings. It doesn't have to be all seven. This is not a home, it's not an assignment, you know, check, check, check. I went through all seven. If one of them hits your heart, stay with it and just embrace it and savor it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what it's about. 
Just like when you're reading scripture, when we teach people about, you know, the, the, the Ignatian way, once you hit a, hit a para, once you hit an area where, where you feel God is speaking to you, you stop. It's like this. I mean, could you imagine? And okay, so here's Jesus. Now, the truth is, though, I, I only share it myself. In my own limited experience, okay, even though I know in my mind Jesus is right there, I'm in my holy hour, and I'm trying to spend time with him. There's times where I have his presence, and there's other times I don't have his presence, even though he's right there, right? You understand what I'm saying? So what do I do? When I don't have his presence, I start to go through my meditation. Here's divine intimacy. I start to go through my meditation or scripture. You know, I might be reading scripture, but could you imagine, like, this is Jesus, but, but Jesus appears in all his glory right to you, okay? You're sitting there, and you're reading the Gospels, and you're really meditating, or you're going through those seven points. And, he, and, and Jesus appears in all his glory right here. And, and you look up, and you see him, and, and you say, um, well, uh, can you give me a few minutes? I'm reading about you. <laughs> I mean, Really? I mean, if I got, to, if I want, wanting to get to know any of you, you know, and, and I, I had a book from your mother that was written, and you gave, you know, your mother gave me this book, and I'm reading this book about you, and you come and you start, you know, you're right there before me, and and you're right there, and I say, oh, um, I'm reading about you. Um, no, once you have the presence, you set down the book, and you just stay with it. And sometimes God gives that grace immediately. You come in here and you can just be right in his presence and you don't have to say anything, right? You've had that experience. But then there's times where you have holy hours where there's the whole hour. It's like, you know, and you start to do that. <laughs> and then it's everybody else's fault because they're making noise with the kneelers and whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's good. We all know the situations. But the point is... God is God. He knows what he's doing. Sometimes he does things to increase our faith. Other, you know, he just knows what he's doing. But when you have his presence, you stop. So whatever those seven points are, if, if something hits you, you just stop with it and stay with it. You don't have to go that far. It, it can be one word. It, it, it can be no words. This is not a homework assignment. This is a retreat for you. We've entered into eternity we have now less than 48 hours, but I'm not, we're not keeping a clock, but we have less than 48 hours. Right now, Jesus is on the cross, and we're coming to the hour of mercy in a half hour. But I'm going to go in the confessional, the sacrament of mercy, until 4 o'clock. So from 2.30 to 4. Where is the confessional, by the way? Okay. I'll, I'll figure where it is. So that's that. That's... Where we'll leave it for today. We'll have another conference at 4.30. But uh, try to get a hold of God's love because the truth is if you don't have that, you can't go forward. And, and I've really learned that over the years, you know, and pray for that gift. Just, if nothing else, ask Mama Mary. You know, Mama Mary, I want to know one more level of God's love for me his love, so I can make his love visible. Amen.